Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. How about them dogs? What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at Alumni Hall, your go-to retailer for the best selection of Georgia Bulldogs gear and accessories. Stop in now at the Epps Bridge Shopping Center in Athens, or you can also shop online if that's easier for you to order the freshly released 2021 Georgia Nike Pegasus sneakers. Honestly, guys, I'll be real with you. I don't always like every version of Georgia's sneakers that Nike releases. They're kind of hit or miss for me, but I really do like these. I like this year's versions, and you can pick up your pair today and get them in your hands in time for this weekend's much-anticipated home opener against the UAB Blazers, so check out Alumni Hall today. As you guys all know, I am your host, Tyler, and joining me today to recap number five, Georgia's massive win in the Titanic Week 1 matchup against the third-ranked Clemson Tigers is my co-host, Curtis, and what a weekend it was in the Queen City. It had been a long, long time coming, man. Last year was... It was tough. It was tough. It was tough for everybody. And I know in the grand scheme of things, the restrictions on my ability to go to Georgia football games, and like even the ones I got to go to, just like the eerily quiet and strangely calm environments, in the grand scheme of all the things that have gone on in the world in the last year plus, of course, that hardly registers. But for me, in my world, as someone who lives and breathes for Georgia football and college athletics, and someone who hadn't missed a game for as long as I had, it was rough. I'm not going to lie. It was tough for me last year. So, look, look, I'm thankful we were able to have a season at all last year. I really am. But you guys know, I mean, obviously, it just wasn't the same. Even the road games I got to go to last year, the towns are basically dead. I mean, Tuscaloosa had a little bit of a vibe to it, I guess. But Lexington was almost a ghost town. So, to drive into Charlotte early Friday and see all the red and black all over the city, to see the Georgia faithful descend upon a road, or I guess in this case, a neutral environment yet again, to be able to tailgate with hundreds of people again, 
So to once again be in a full college football stadium and for it to be in an electric environment like that in a game of that magnitude between two big boys on the national stage and then to come out on top, man, for me, in my life, as far as I'm concerned, it really just does not get much better than that. And what a game, man. Look, I know a lot of people would argue that it was an ugly game. I can't tell you how many times I've already seen that in the last 24 hours or heard people say that even coming out of the stadium. But that's coming from the offensive perspective. I get it. Coming from that perspective, yeah, it was an ugly game. But I'm an old defensive guy. So to me, there was nothing ugly about that game. Defense can be beautiful too, guys. It can be. I know in this day and age of high-flying offenses, teams who win with defense typically get dismissed. It's kind of like pretenders. But in a game like this, a W is a W. But look, we've got a lot to talk about today. So let's get into this recap. For those of you who are newer to our podcast, our recap episodes, they're more of kind of like the the big picture macro level look at the game that was just played. You know, we're talking the schemes, storylines, big moments, all that kind of stuff. But obviously we can't cover and discuss every little detail and every little player that needs to be discussed in one recap episode. So we also run a mailbag episode on Tuesdays as a way to, number one, just make sure we're answering all your questions. I mean, you guys know this this show is for you guys. That's why we do this. We want to make sure you guys have a podcast, you have a place to cover Georgia sports in the way that you want it to be covered. So number one, the mailbags are for that. But... It also allows us a chance to kind of hit on all the other things, the more specific, more myopic details, specific players that maybe didn't make it on the official recap episode. So Charlie and I, we will be back with that episode on Tuesday. But today, I've got my man Curtis with me. And Curtis, we're going to talk plenty about the stellar defensive performance and I guess I would just say the not-so-inspiring offensive performance. We'll talk plenty about both of those. But I want to just start the discussion with this. We basically spent the entire offseason, we're talking about like nine long months, looking forward to and, and previewing this specific game. We dedicated a lot of time to talking about it and breaking it down. Now that it's over, it's come and gone, how closely did this game resemble how you thought it would play out? Well, to be honest, you know, I had a little, I think everyone in America really realistically had a higher scoring game, but it's not, but the, when you get down to it, it didn't surprise me a lot. Um, when you knew it was going to come down to both the defenses, the defensive play in the line of scrimmage, you knew that was going to be the deciding part of the game. So realistically that part stayed true. It just, the offenses, I think no one really would have gotten those right. How does it feel to be so completely wrong in your prediction? Of a Clemson victory. Um, it's one of those that you know. If I'm right, you're like, well, at least I was honest. And if you're wrong, you're like, it's one of those where you're okay being wrong. Right. I'm just messing with you, man. Yeah. No. I mean, look. I mean, it was all. It was close. I mean, it's not like you were that far off. But no. I mean, you were being objective. You you said what you had to say. It's all good. Um. Yeah, man. I'm with like this game. Look, no one saw this coming as a 10-3 game. Like. I'm sorry, no. if you could predict that, then just go live in Vegas and make a lot of money making a living doing that. No one saw this being a 10-3 game. But one thing that I, I felt really confident coming to this game, and I hammered this home for really a couple months, especially the last couple of weeks leading into this season. I thought our defensive line, our front seven, was going to absolutely dominate. I thought we were going to eat their offensive line alive. And I'm not always right. I, I get a lot of things wrong. <laughs> week one picks weren't so hot. You know, week one's really hard, but, you know, I missed some there. 
But I mean, what I, I think I North Carolina is my lock of the week. Not so great. So I miss things. But one thing, I mean, I, I, t- I told you guys, you guys know, I, I spent the entire offseason doing the watching Tate getting ready for this guy in the episodes. And I watched every single game that Clemson played last year multiple times. And every single time I watched the game, I just sat there just like chomping at the bit to think about our matchup with our front seven against that offensive line. I knew that we were going to dominate. I mean, you never know, but I had a very strong feeling that we were going to dominate that matchup. And I told you guys in the in the preview episode, that was the biggest mismatch in the entire game, in my opinion, coming into it. Their defense line versus offensive line, they had an advantage there too. But I thought we had the bigger advantage, and it absolutely played out that way. No, I did not see it being a 10-3 game. But I really felt like it was going to come down to who was able to run the football more effectively. We didn't run the football as much as I think we should have, but I thought we had a, I thought we had a pretty effective game running the football when we needed to for the most part. They didn't really create a ton of negative plays. So honestly, again, not not I didn't see 10-3, but it really kind of played out more or less the way I thought it would, specifically along, along the lines of scrimmage. As you mentioned, Chris, I felt like that's where the game would be decided. And ultimately, that's where it was decided. I didn't know that we would dominate to that degree, but I felt that was a matchup that we were going to control, and it, it certainly did play out that way. But let's talk a little bit more about this junkyard dog defense, Curtis. What a performance. I got just a couple stats here. You know, on, on the way home, I was able to kind of just look at a bunch of different sources out there and try to just collect as many stats as I could to kind of put into perspective a little bit how dominant this performance was by the Georgia defense against Clemson in week one. So, we held Clemson to the fewest points in the Dabo Swinney era. It's the first time in 10 years that Clemson was shut out in the first half, which is the longest streak in college football, long, longest current streak. I guess it was the longest current streak in college football before last night. We held Clemson to their lowest point total in 14 years. We held them to six feet rushing. Yes, two yards. I think six feet sounds better. I think that tells the story more. If you say they ran for six feet, seven sacks, guys. We did not hit seven sacks total as a team last year until game three. For seven three and outs in that game. Held Clemson to 180 total yards, the second fewest in the Dabo era, after they had gone for 400 or more yards in their last each of their last 12 games. So any way you slice it, just an absolutely dominant performance by the Georgia defense. So I got to ask you, man, where does that defensive performance rank on your list of all time defensive performances? I'm not talking about just Georgia. I'm talking about just all time college football defensive performances. It's hard to put it into words, honestly, and like figure it out because I think the thing that people, I mean, not only was it just an absolute dominant performance, but they came out and did this week one. I mean, you, you. I think week one is the times you see some most explosive plays on offense and breakdowns of things because communication, all that isn't there, but yet they came out clicking on almost all cylinders except for, you know, one or two things here or there. They were absolutely dominant, and that's just not what happens when you think week one. It's hard for me to sit here and say it's the most dominant performance in college football history. I have not seen every college football game. There have been a ton of dominant defensive games. I mean, think about that. Was it the 2011 Alabama LSU game? Was the 9-6 game in Tuscaloosa? Yeah. But, I mean, honestly, I think both teams in that game, I'm pretty sure both teams were over like 225 yards total offense. And that was also before the offensive explosion. We're talking about Clemson, who runs a very modern spread-based attack that takes advantage of all the 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 – the things that modern college football allows offenses to do to defenses, you know, with RPOs, things of that nature. It's, it was a different era. 
So, I mean, look, it, I will say this. At the very least, it was as dominant a defensive performance that I have seen, that I, that I can remember. Maybe I've seen one at some point that is just not coming to mind right now. Obviously, this is very fresh in my mind. But I don't remember. I don't recall seeing a more dominant defensive performance by any team in my lifetime, in a game that I've watched. And I, I'm sure I'm missing something. I'm sure somebody's going to send us a tweet or something on Instagram and say, hey, what about this game? And you're probably right. But, I mean, this has got to be right up there. I mean, to hold Clemson to three points, 180 total yards, that is an unbelievable, like truly almost like I cannot quite believe it happened. Like still here we are almost 24 hours later. I still can't quite believe we were that good. I knew that we would dominate up front. I really thought we would. But there were some questions in the secondary. Clemson's got really good players, guys. DJ Uyungle, I know he did not look like a – like a All-American last night, that guy is still very, very, very good. They have tons of good receivers. Their skill talent is, is fantastic. Their offensive line, as has been the case for a long time, not so great. But to just dominate them the way that we did, it, it's got to be one of the best, if not the best, defensive performances that I've ever seen in my entire life. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. But now that we've established how dominant that performance was, Curtis, by the Georgia defense. The obvious next question, in my opinion, the, the more important question is how? How were we able to dominate Clemson's offense like that, Kurt? Um, the biggest thing is we won the front seven. I mean, really, I mean, yeah, the front seven is great, but really it's a line of scrimmage. I mean, we were getting pressure on Clemson, rushing three people. Realistically, in college football that, or in football in general, that does not happen. You don't see people getting pressure and even sacks only rushing three. And I think that's the biggest thing. But I also just want to give credit to the DBs because there were at times that some of those sacks, yeah, our, our front seven was getting after it. But our DBs were blanketing people, and we just really we just really gave them no option, nowhere to go with the ball. And when they did, there really wasn't a time where they had it. And winning the, the line of scrimmage just completely changed the game. I mean, we Like Kirby Smart always said – or like we always say with Kirby Smart, he's one of these people that likes to make you play left-handed. Well, I mean, Clemson loves to pass the ball, yes. But the fact is we took the run game away from them completely. And so you knew we made them one-dimensional. And I think that's what changed the game. Absolutely. I, I, I keep sounding like a broken record, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but it, it the fact remains that we won this football game because we flat-out controlled line of scrimmage. 
it's that simple. And you're right, Curtis. There were there were a couple of those sacks, seven sacks. A couple of them were coverage sacks. I mean, I know the one that Nolan Smith got. That's the first one that comes to mind. Like you mentioned, that one we were running. We were only rushing three guys. We dropped eight on that play. We really were not even trying to get after the quarterback. We were just rushing three guys, and we were blanketing them. And Nolan, to his credit, made a play and got the on the lay and made the sack. But there were a couple coverage sacks there. But just drive in, drive out, snap in, snap out. We absolutely dominated that Clemson offensive line. And when I say snap in, snap out, I don't think there's a snap that Clemson had on offense last night that you could say their offensive line won. I don't think there's one single snap, whether it's the run game, whether it's the pass game, the screen game, whatever. I don't think they won one single snap. I've got to I've got to watch it back one time since I've gotten home. That's it. I'll watch it a couple more times throughout the rest of this week. But based on what I saw last night live in the stadium, what I've seen so far in the rewatch, I don't think you can argue. I think you can argue there's not one single snap that they won. And I, again, I felt like we would dominate up front. I did not know that it would be like that uh, to that degree. And when, like you mentioned, Curtis, when you make a team one dimensional, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to be able to have any kind of success. I don't care who you are, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult. I mean, I laid the numbers out in our preview show last week. I mean, when Clemson was able to run the football last year, they won, they won football games. The games where they were held under 100 yards, those are the games that they lost. The two games that they were held under 100 yards rushing against Notre Dame and Ohio State. I think they were held like under 40 against Notre Dame, under 50 against Ohio State. They lost both those games. I told you guys that was the key to the game. Again, I don't get everything right, but all you do is let's look at recent history. That's all you have to do. If we held them under 100 yards and we won the rushing battle, we were going to win this game. That's why I said it was the key to the entire game. That was my one key to the entire game. Who wins the rushing battle? Can we hold them under 100? Can we have a decent amount of success running the football? And the answer to both those questions was an emphatic yes. And therefore, we won the football game. It's that simple. And we did a great job in the secondary as well. There were there were some moments there late in the, in the second half where it got close. I mean, it was close the entire game. But when they were driving down there, they got inside the red zone about to potentially score a touchdown, and our defense bowed their necks, got stops. They got inside the red zone. They didn't even try to run the football because they didn't, they knew they weren't going to be able to have any success doing that. They tried to throw the ball, and our our secondary came up big. Some guys had not been tested, guys like Latavius Breen, who, had, who I, I was very open in the preseason telling you guys, I had concerns about him in coverage which because I hadn't seen it. I, I, didn't, I wasn't saying that he could not do it. I just simply was saying I had not seen him. I had questions. I had concerns there. I thought he responded with a huge game. We'll talk more about him a little bit later. But guys like him, Amir Speed, Keely Ringo, I know there's some pass interferences there, but I thought they responded really well. So, let me, as I bring up the secondary, obviously that was the big concern that everyone had, not just in the Georgia fan base, but everyone nationally. When they talk about college football, when they talk about Georgia, one of the first things they brought up was oh, all the questions in the secondary. How do you feel like we answered those questions in week one? Um, I think we did really well. Um, I think, I mean, realistically, Clemson had one big play, and that that was really it. And outside of that, we had their guys blanketed the whole time. Now, I do think the announcers made a good point that this is not the Clemson of old with their offense because they don't have that guy, that that slot guy, that yep. difference maker that sit down in there, so it made it easier to blanket them. But the fact is, I still think our defensive backs held up well. And the one thing too is, even with the big plays, like they they were able to bring them down. Like I think our one thing that really stood out, stood out to me was that our DBs were physical in their own right out there making plays and tackles. And that's a big thing too, because that can, you know, make plays even bigger is that if they don't 
if they missed their tackles. And I felt like they were doing it and run stopping. And even if Clemson caught the ball, they were hitting them almost as soon as they caught it. They weren't giving up much. Yeah, you're totally right. Like one thing that was interesting to me was the lack of screens we saw from Clemson last night. I told you guys in the preview show last week, they were top 10 in screen percentage last year. They were number one in power five in screen attempts over the past three years. They don't really throw like people think of Clemson as this high powered offense that just chucks the ball down the field. That's not really what they do. They're a heavy, heavy, heavy screen team. Cause they don't really, they don't traditionally run. They don't run the ball traditionally well, like in the traditional sense. They'll have a couple base run plays. They run they have like a little counter play, a little inside zone play, they'll throw a little fly sweep, occasional level quarterback option, something like that. Um, but they were 96th in deep pass play percentage last year. Only 14% of their pass plays were, were what pro football folks would consider deep pass plays. And we didn't see that screen game from them heavily. We saw a couple from them last last night, but not a ton, not as heavily as we had seen from them in, in years past. And you're right, Curtis, highlighting the fact that they don't have that slot receiver. Now, Spectre was going to be that guy for them. His brother's a linebacker, the, the smaller guy. He's their little slot receiver. They, they just did not have a guy like go back to like even Artavis Scott, obviously Amari Rogers last year, Hunter Renfro. They didn't, they don't have a guy like that. And they have good receivers. But they don't have a guy that fits that role for them. And that's an exceptionally important role for that offense. So I think that certainly played to our advantage there. But you know, it also helps when they're consistently in third and long because they couldn't run the football. We were suffocating them there. So when you're in third and long, that helps. We were able to get into our dime package and, and um, be able to play coverage. And also when you can just whip their offensive line without even bringing extra pressure, extra guys. Now, we brought extra guys at times. You can't do the same thing every single snap. But we were getting plenty of pressure. Even if we didn't get sacks, we were affecting the quarterback with just bringing four guys. And if you can do that, it's going to really help your your secondary especially those guys who are inexperienced like keely ringo and amir speed all amir speed's been around since 2017 he's still inexperienced back there but you mentioned earlier curse there were some plays where we absolutely our, our pass rush benefited from our secondary blanketing guys we got some coverage sacks there as well so i think it all kind of goes hand in hand I think they all play extraordinarily well but i want to dig in here on keely ringo and amir speed we all felt pretty good about darion kendrick coming in this guy has had a couple years of starting experience over at Clemson. Good for him winning this game. And that's got to feel good for him. Feels great for all of us. Got to feel good for him too. But Amir Speed, Keely Ringo, how did you feel about them on the other side of the field there opposite Darian Kip? How do you feel about their performances? Um, Honestly, I'm, I liked what I saw. I mean, yeah, Ringo had two penalties, but the fact is the guy was playing physical. I think one of those, I think it was Ringo, one of those I thought was a little bit of a BS call, almost like a, that it on could Ringo? have gone either way. Yeah. Um, the, the first, first one, one the first one on Ringo off. when he was kind of holding the arm, that was at the first quarter? Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was maybe a penalty, but it, I think it was also a, a play you could have not called, just chalking it up as a physical play. Yeah, it, it was not as um, obvious. The second one, he flat out tackled the guy in the end zone. Oh, yeah, like, the second one he deserved 100%. Yeah, but even I mean, then, I like him it. doing that because, he, I mean, I think that's a good play in his own right, even for a young guy, because the fact is you don't give up a touchdown. Like, And that's the thing that drives me crazy with DBs is that they get the penalty and still give up a touchdown. Now, if you're going to get the penalty, you sure as heck pull them down and don't let them make a catch. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I will say this about so, that play, too. I mean, the thing was, and this is this is an experience. This is where an experience hurt him. He was in good position. He was not out yeah, of he position. Was. He was completely in favor. It's almost like what you saw out of Tyson Campbell when he first yep. started. A lot of parallels there. Like completely in position, in phase. All he had to do was turn around and find the football. He just panicked. 
He panicked. He didn't know where the football was. He panicked and just tackled the guy. And that's inexperience. But there, and I'm not trying to make, you know, I'm not trying to completely dismiss any struggles he might have had. But that is something that can be worked on with experience. That comes with time. Okay. Well, now, and, Tyson, and like we also we all know that he missed almost all of last year, still didn't get to do much in the spring and the guy's still a work in progress. And from where he's at right now against Clemson, who got, who has some difference makers on offense, realistically, I thought he held up pretty well. He didn't give up the big play, which is like we said, what you couldn't, that's how you beat Clemson. Don't give up the big play. Absolutely. And as trash as their offensive line is as much garbage they have on that offensive line, their skill players are legit. Justin Ross, I know coming off the injury, you know, probably wasn't 100%, but still, very good receiver. EJ Williams, very good receiver. Nagata, Ladson, very good receivers. And yeah, two, two pass interferences on Ringo. He had one on speed. The one on speed was garbage. There, that, that, yeah, that was there I was feel no like that was make up for the late hit that should have been called because Dabo is complaining the whole time. Then they get that right away. Yeah, I mean, of course, of course. But I mean, that was just a, a just ridiculous call out there. But. I thought both guys more than held their own. There's still plenty of, of things to work on. I think they both need to improve their 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 awareness with the ball in the air, especially Ringo. But like you said, Kers, this guy is, basically had no reps at all last year. Spring practice was like his first real live reps with our football team. All right, He's coming off labrum surgery. So he's going to be a work in progress, but the tools are there. I thought he responded in a big way in a big game against a really good group of receivers and a really talented quarterback. So the his best of ball is clearly ahead of him. At the very least, I'll say this. They didn't cost us, right? They didn't kill us in that game. No, so, and, and, and Clemson's a talented enough offense that they could. It, you know, there's this very there's a very real possibility coming in that game that they would – and they tried to pick on those guys, especially in the fourth quarter. They were trying to make their comeback. They were going to speed. They were going at Ringo. That's where they were trying to find their matchups. And, yeah, they got a couple of pass interference calls. But at the end of the day – those guys, Speed, Ringo, held their own and uh, allowed this defense to, to just completely suffocate what Clemson was trying to do offensively. And they're just going to get better and better. There, there's no doubt there. So clearly it was an all-time performance by the defense. But as we're talking about with, with some of the cornerback issues here, it still doesn't necessarily mean it was perfect. Outside of cornerback, curves, talk about that just a little bit. What do you see that we need to maybe clean up on defensively as we move forward? Um, I think communication. Now, there were times um... – Clemson, like I said, they would try to do. They tried to run the wheel route quite a few times. Um, it just we we did a couple good times, but I also think the the pass rush getting to him helped. But it, it there could have been some big plays there. Um, I still think that's something we need to work on. Yeah. Um, just communication wise there because it seemed like it could we were cl- very close to being exposed right there again. Um, so that'd probably be my biggest thing outside of just. I thought we did a good job tackling, but you can't miss some of those tackles like where you saw Nicobe miss on the running back on third down. Um, you just yeah. can't have that. Yeah, and it's tough. Those guys are playmakers too, man. Those are, they, they get scholarships yeah. for a reason. Those guys are good. It's t- it's tough to tackle a guy like Shipley who's got some wiggle one-on-one in space like that, but you got to bring him down on a third down like that. I believe that was a third down. I'm pretty sure it was a third down. Yeah, it um, was a third down, and we had him for a one-yard gain or something. And yeah, you got you got to bring him down. But other than Nakobe was, we'll, we'll talk more about Nakobe later on. But fantastic game, incredible game. But that you got to be able to bring him down. Like and like, we're totally nitpicking here. When you hold a team to three points, 180 yeah, yards, like it's really hard, hard to, find, to find something. Yeah. yeah, I thought obviously we rushed the passer well. We we dominated the run game. I thought we played the ball in the air outside of like you know Keely a couple times. But like we defended the ball well in the air. We were knocking down passes. Devontae White did a couple things like that. 
I, all around me, it's really hard to find things to nitpick right now when it was that dominant of a defense performance. But you always got to look at it with a critical eye and see what you can do to improve and get better because there's always things you can do. Uh, penalties would be one of them as well. Now, we, more, we had more penalties on. I guess we had, it was a couple pass interferences, a couple on offense as well. What do we have? 10 penalties, like almost 100 yards, Curse, Is that right? I believe so. Yeah, a lot of that was no. pass interferences, but yeah, yeah, pass, I, yeah, at least three pass interferences. Was there only three? I know it was two on Ringo, one on Speed. Was there anyone else I'm missing here? I think there's another one, that. but I can't remember. Yeah, it was at least three. It might have been more. And then you go back and check that. But yeah, we're kind of just nitpicking there. Now, one thing before we move on to the offense, one thing I want to go back and talk about here, Curtis. We we're talking about how we were able to dominate. I focused a lot on how we were able to just control the the uh, the trenches there. I also, and this kind of goes hand in hand with that. We absolutely spooked DJ Uyamale, right? Oh yeah, from the get go. I mean, he was hearing footsteps, man. Like, I mean, he was he was seeing ghosts out there. There's just no other way to put it. I mean, he now he only played two games last year, but you know, I obviously I, I broke those games down many times. I watched them more than the other games because I knew that's who we were going to be playing, and it was hard to find major flaws in his game because he's really really good. And he had big games in both those matchups against Notre Dame and uh, and Boston College, but there were some slight accuracy issues. Like he'd miss miss some open guys, and we saw that a little bit last night. Now some of those, like he was still in the clean pocket and just missed guys, but there were plenty of times where again we affected the quarterback, even if we didn't get him on the ground. Now we did plenty of times seven sacks, but there are plenty of times where we may not be able to get him on the ground, but we absolutely affected him. We made him move off his spot made him kind of throw off platform. And there were some guys that might've been open in the secondary that were open that he just didn't hit. So that's another big part of this, not just the sack numbers themselves, but it goes beyond that. Just being able to affect him and get into his head. Like he, like he just did not know where people were coming from. And I got to give Danny Lenning a lot of credit there. He called a hell of a game defensively. I know that you've been critical of Danny Lenning in the past curves. How do you feel about the game plan that he put together against this Clemson offense? I think it was a great game plan. Um, honestly, uh, DBs did well. They did good disguising coverages, um, defensive line. I mean, in all honesty, too, the defensive line and the play the front seven, I mean, we they they can make your life a lot easier, too, and they can go out there and you can get a pass rush with three guys that can help any coach. But not oh, yeah, to take absolutely. away, I still think Dan Laning called a great game, getting stunts and everything. I mean, it was a combination of all things. I mean, the players had to go out there and play, and there were times where we didn't actually bring pressure, and like we just had a three-man rush. We weren't even trying to do anything. There was no gaming, no stunning up front, and we we're still able to get to the quarterback because Clemson's offensive line, again, is complete trash. And I'm actually not sure Clemson – like, do you really think Clemson's going to be a playoff team? I know the ACC is terrible. We They'll saw that win the ACC, team. but I just don't know if people will respect the ACC enough after – Yeah, after uh, what happened. Now you don't know who's going to – yeah, that's the thing you just don't know. I don't know, man. Like I, I'm not like I know the ACC is down, and it's hard to find like where is Clemson going to lose. But with an offensive line that's that bad, and I know that we're dominant on defense and on, in the front seven, we're as good as anybody in the country, probably better than anybody in the country. But still, that offensive line objectively is just not good. They're just not good, and so it would not shock me if Clemson finds themselves in a dogfight with in, in a game they should because they're probably double digit favorites in every game the rest of the way. But it wouldn't surprise me if they find themselves in a dogfight because that offensive line is just simply not good. They do not have answers there, and we might have exposed them. So I don't know. I think there might be another loss in that schedule. It's hard to find it right now on paper because everyone else in the ACC is terrible, but it wouldn't shock me. But anyway, like if you're looking at this at this game, Dan Lanning did a lot of good things, man. Like, yes, we had some guys that just flat out won their one-on-one matchups. Absolutely. But – 
a part of that was also the matchups Lanning was able to create with the simulated pressure. He had guys coming and dropping from all different angles. DJ Uyengle had no idea where the pressure was coming from. Because, again, when I, when I say we blitz, that means we're bringing more than four defenders. Even when we only brought four, it looks like a blitz, but it's not really a blitz. But he had no idea which four defenders are coming. We're like we were dropping Devontae like Jamal Walthour was dropping into coverage like in his own blitz. We were bringing guys from everywhere. So the creativity in what we were able to do, and I'll give Landing credit. And Kirby said in his post game press conference, we went because we gave out too many yards passing last year. We absolutely did, and we went back to the drawing board this offseason. So okay, what were teams doing to hurt us? And we figured out times we were too predictable in our coverages and our in our pressure packages and what we were doing. And we clearly worked that. We brought some pressure packages I had not seen us run. I like had some very creative stuff, doing some different things with some fire zones. And it was a sight to behold, man. So, yes, our players deserve a ton of credit for what they were able to do with their skill set on the field. But Dan Lanning, Kirby Smart, the entire defense staff also deserve a lot of credit for putting those guys in the position to be able to make plays the way that they did. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. But all right, Curtis, as dominant as that performance by the Georgia defense was, and it was absolutely a masterpiece by Dan Landing, Kirby Smart, the entire defensive staff, and all the players out there on the defensive side of the ball. It was an absolute masterpiece. But anyone who watched this game knows very clearly it was a tale of two sides of the ball. Not like we've ever heard that story before, right? We held them to 180 yards. Incredible. But we also only managed 256 yards of our own and only three points of our own offensively. So, Curtis, first off, despite the win, there are a lot of people, both within and outside of the Georgia fan base, already in full speed churning out the notion that this is just the same old Georgia offense and that nothing has changed. You and I have been very open with our belief that our offense has got to take the next step in order for us to actually win a national title. We've been competitive. We've been right there, but we haven't gotten over that hump. We haven't closed the deal. And you and I have talked ad nauseum about our offense and our just unwillingness to evolve and take advantage of all the things that modern offensive football brings you. That has been what has really held us back more than anything. So, after seeing what you saw last night, how concerned are you about the Georgia offense right now? Honestly, I'm not very concerned. Um, you know, you kind of even alluded to this that you thought we'd be more of a running game, a running team in this game. Because, like, the fact of the matter is that right now going into the game, that was our most experienced group um, of game experience was our run game. Um, when people are out there judging, like, oh, we weren't getting the big explosive plays, well – we were so depleted right now, especially at wide receiver, that we had someone who just got on scholarship a week or two ago 
getting targets. That's yeah, that's of what we were, that's what we were doing. And some of those plays too, like the big plays that were almost made, you got to think they were there to be made. Um, Lad McConkey, in my opinion, that one where JT kind of overthrew him a little bit for some that's reason, tough. he started moving to he started moving to the sideline a little bit instead of keeping going upfield. Where if he keeps going upfield, I think he catches. You know, it's he's hit more in stride. There was also um, a play in the fourth quarter where he threw a fade to AD Mitchell. JT put the ball in a perfect spot. AD lost the ball. He got, oh, yeah. he got he got pressed at the line of scrimmage and got rattled there and just lost the ball. It was a great throw yeah. by JT. He was in a great spot. And I think that's the biggest thing is and well, and let's be honest, Clemson has a great defense. There's no other way to say it. They have a great defense, and we weren't sure what our offensive line was going to do. Um, JT was getting rid of the ball within like 1.7 seconds, I believe, was the total number. Um, so yeah, we weren't going to target downfield because we just we didn't have all our playmakers there. We weren't we weren't sure what we were to get. And with what Clemson, you know, you know what you're getting with Clemson. You had to do what gave you the most success to win. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I I mean, because look what happened to Clemson. They they tried to get some of the hit some of those deep balls and things like that when they knew their offensive line couldn't protect them, and yet they just got absolutely demolished because of that. But I mean, if you look, I, I hear what you're saying, and I don't disagree with you. But Kurt, I mean, look, look at the numbers here. So I'm pulling it up right now: 256 total yards on 60, I was 61 plays. That doesn't concern you at all moving forward? Uh, give me, give it two or three more weeks, and then I'll see where the concern is. Honestly, I, with what we had out there, I don't th- understand where people thought we were going to go being a true downfield attack team, honestly. where When he tried to hold on to the ball, that was about the one sack we gave where we tried to really let things develop. Even in the run game, when we went with some of those slower developing runs, we were getting hit in the backfield. Fair. I mean, you're right saying Clemson. Is Clemson the best defense that we're going to face in the regular season? 100%. I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I, I think that's at least almost, the best. At least the best front seven will face, and that's really what attack hurts you in the passing game. I mean, in the, I mean, we'll see who if we get to the SEC championship game. Knock on wood, we'll see who we play there. But the regular season, I mean, I feel pretty confident saying that Clemson's the best defense that we're going to face all all season in the regular season. So it, it, I don't think it should shock us that we did not have a stellar offensive performance. I think the fact that we only scored three points. Even though we won the game, which is all that matters at the end of the day, I think that is causing some consternation in the fan base right now moving forward. And I and I do kind of understand. I will say this: I'm not not concerned because we still have questions that we need to answer. But I'm not overly concerned, as you said, because as far as I'm concerned, in my opinion, the Georgia offense that you saw last night is not the Georgia offense that you will see moving forward. Does that make sense, Kurt? No, but I mean, but let's be honest, the Georgia fan base, even if you won by 50, would still find something to be absolutely in panic over. Like, that's just who our fan base oh, is. True. I mean, that's just college football fandom in general. I, I mean, mean, but that, that's the fact is, like, even all the announcers pointed out, like, once they start getting healthy, you, this Georgia offense is going to change. Once you get the offensive line settled, I don't, I don't even think that, that what the line we saw – in this game will be the offensive lineup or the, you know, what you see um, on the line of scrimmage going forward for the long part, long haul. I don't even think that like everything's going to change. And once you get more settled and get some of these wide receivers in there, I mean, we targeted Brock Bowers numerous times and as good as he's been, the fact is we didn't really have any of our upperclassmen ready to go. John Fitzpatrick, we kind of had to put him on a limit to keep him out there, especially to have him when we needed him in the run game. Um, so, I mean, yeah. we were very hampered. Garrett Jackson did not take one single snap on offense. So we are, we, I think I saw a statistic that we had two players um, at our skill positions that had caught the ball five, uh, more than five times last year, being only uh, um, Jermaine Burton and uh, 
John Fitzpatrick. Those are the only guys that caught more than five passes returned that were played in this that game. That is accurate. For us. That is accurate. And you make a good point about how people are viewing the final score in the offensive performance. We win 10 3, and people are going to be pissed off and uh, freaking out because we only scored three offensive points. But if we would have won the game 48 41, we still win by a touchdown, still same margin of victory, but people be freaking out because our defense sucks, right? Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, it's called if, if you, like, if we had the shootout, everyone thought we would. Oh, God, we have so many problems on defense. What are we going to do? Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. But I think the thing is, the issue here is that people have become conditioned over the past couple of years. Because recent history indicates that you have to have an elite offense. Yeah, You need to be good enough on defense. You can't be garbage on defense. But you have to have an elite offense that can put up big time points game in and game out to win national titles and that's where our fan base is right now that's our expectation we want to win national titles we know we have the defense it's the offense that has to catch up and that's kind of where the consternation comes from because we've seen this story over and over again and people just have it in their mind that defense doesn't win championships anymore i think that may change the more the year goes on too of how our offense like you've got to give it time to grow especially i mean We've talked about all offseason how we're still trying to get healthy, especially at the skill position. So I don't know why people thought right away they'd come out there putting up ridiculous explosive numbers when we're still not truly healthy. Jermaine Burton's only gotten back to practice in the last week or week, week and a half. Kiaris Jackson, like I said, didn't even play out there. So you, all these – uh, John Fitzpatrick just got back to practice this week. Like all these people are not healthy. All, all fair points. So I'm going to move on to the next thing here. So clearly there are concerns on offense, in my opinion. I, I know you're not overly concerned, but I think it's fair to say there, there are some things that we've got to get better. We've got to improve there. But I want oh, to yeah, I mean, there's, there's no question we have to get better, but I think people are over here under the assumption that this is just who we are and there's no chance we get any better, and I think that's a right. way overreaction. That's, that's folly. Yeah, I, I, complete, I completely agree with you 100% there. But I want to dial in quickly here before we got to get out of here, Curtis. I want to dial in more specifically to the game plan. What did you make of our game plan, specifically the lack of vertical shots, which is something that JT Daniels really opened up for our offense the last four games of last season? What did you make of the game plan? I understood it. You know, would I like to see some more shots? Of course. But the fact is, we weren't sure our offensive line could hold up, especially when Tate Radledge went out and you had to bring in Warren Erickson, who had just gotten back to practice this week, and let alone who knows how many reps he's even gotten at the guard position. We weren't sure how we were going to hold up. So I completely get not being as willing to take it. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, even when we tried to run slow developing run plays, you know, run plays that needed a second or two, like um, what you would expect out of a passing attack, we were, you know, we got hit at the line of scrimmage. So there was things that we definitely had that showed that, you know, trying to soften up their coverage was the best thing we could do. Here's what I would say about the game plan. And I, and I talked about this. If you are following us on Instagram Live, I did. It, I was able to find some Wi-Fi. I did a little Instagram Live session during halftime. I was waiting in line for some water. So make sure you're following us there, guys. We got a lot of good stuff coming for you. I was, I, I, I was tweeting about this too, man. I, I was hammering this. I felt like we needed to run the football more. Todd Munkin is a far smarter man than I will ever dream of being. He knows far more football than I could ever imagine knowing. And I have a lot of respect for him. I, tr- I hesitate to criticize coaches on like play calling because they just have so much more information they're operating off of than we do. They know the players. They know the schemes, the numbers. They've watched more film than we have, obviously. So I, I always hesitate to do that. They are the pros, and we are the armchair experts. But I, the one criticism I would have in this game is I felt like we, when we tried on the football, I felt we had at least a decent amount of success. 
That's what we need to do. Now, in terms of, I know a lot of people are like, why were we not trying to push the ball down the field? I mean, JT ended up with 22. He was 22 of 30 for, what, 136 yards, 135 yards, 4.5 yards per attempt. Didn't really try to push the ball down the field at all, and I don't think that's what people were expecting. They wanted to take some shots. I did too. But I think it's a combination of three things, all right? This game plan that we had, which was clearly quick pass, get the ball to JT's hands, misdirection, uh, screen game, all of that kind of stuff, RPOs as well. I don't think we RPO as much as I would have liked to have seen, but still, that was kind of what we were trying to do, get the ball out of his hands, quick stuff. I think it's a combination of three things that motivated us to do that. Number one, uh, just a, a, a massive amount of respect for that defensive line and their ability to disrupt. Guys, I laid it out in the, in the show last week. This defensive line over the past decade, this Clemson defensive front, since Brent Venables came, up, came over to Clemson from Oklahoma, has been the most disruptive defensive front consistently in college football. They're always number one or two in college football in tackles for loss. And they're always up there in stacks as well. That's what they do. They disrupt and they wreck your game plan. They create game-changing plays. He simply did not want to allow that to happen. Taking five-step drops to allow some of those vertical shots to develop, that also gives time for that dangerous defensive front to create havoc and create potential game-changing plays. I mean, we saw our own defensive line do the very same thing to Clemson's offense. And Munkin clearly did not want our offense to suffer the same fate. And they also, very, and then we spent a lot of time talking about how aggressive they play, how often they blitz. They're one of the top blitzing teams in the country. But they came out in this unusually soft and, a pa- and very passive approach to defense. Nolan Turner not being in that game as safety, kind of a... a a safety blanket in the back there, a safety guy they trust that just does not blow assignments. Him being out in that game, I think that really frightened them. I think it caused them to completely change what they were doing defensively and just try to keep that deep safe, the too high safety shell most of the game to really take away our chances to try to get one-on-one matchups. They were playing just a soft zone all game long. They did not trust those guys to be in one-on-one matchups with our receivers. Now, I question that game plan a little bit because our receivers didn't really do much to scare anybody, but I guess it really worked for them for the most part. And then as you are alluding to, Curtis, the third factor here would be our own injury situation. Guys, just listen to this list. No George Pickens. I know we knew he was going to be out there, but still, no George Pickens. No Kiaris Jackson on offense. No one knew that he wasn't going to play on offense at all. No Darnell Washington. Tate Rattledge goes out for the second play. Warren Erickson's playing guard. He was, he was a center before he hurt his foot. He hasn't been practicing much. Burton and Fitzpatrick both played, but they missed most of fall camp. Burton missed the entire first two weeks of fall camp. After day one, he sprained his ankle. Fitzpatrick was out with a sprained foot for almost all of fall camp. He really wasn't cleared until the week of the game. So we were the walking wounded on offense going up against this hellacious defensive front, just a great front seven. And then on top of that, they're sitting back playing this soft passive approach, not really giving you those vertical shots. It's going to be very difficult to – try to call a game at all i thought all things considered that todd munkin did what we had to do within those restrictions and within those confines to win this football game now again my my one criticism is i feel like when they're sitting that too high safety that very soft shell how do you get them out of that how do you get them out of that so you can take some vertical shots on the field you need to run the football. You have to run them out of those two high safety hooks. You have to force them to bring one of those safeties down and go to either cover three. Because if you're in a single high safety look, there's two coverage you can run. You're either running cover three or you're running cover one, which is man coverage. And that's when you can create some of those vertical shots. We did not commit to the run enough until late in the game. And when we did run the ball, I thought we had a decent amount of success. We only had 19 true rushing attempts before that last drive. 
I thought we ran the ball well when we tried to. And Curtis, I'm curious to get your take on that. Do you think that we should have committed more to the run last night? I mean, no, because I think at the same time what we were doing was work, especially in the what really killed us is we were. But was it was it really well. working? I mean, we had three I points. Mean, we, I think the a lot of things too is you saw some of those early game mistakes of those holds, offsides, and things that really started killing our drives. That went from us having a third and two, third and three, to all of a sudden being back in third long again, where those quick passes. There were a couple of jumps, a couple plays, yeah. And that's and then especially in the second half, I think the thing was too like. We went to the run and we were gashing them, but then we'd have the one little play that would push us back far enough. And, and those are the things that, like we talked about, that can get corrected. Um, and think about well, it when you get inside the ten yard we line, you get in the red zone, you get inside the ten yard line, and you don't run the ball one time. Like I, I, I have an issue with that. I mean, I, I, you run the ball to get down there for the most part in that drive, and you just you completely go away from it once you get inside the ten yard line. I just that that to me. Again, Todd Munkin is a great coordinator. knows far more about football than I do. I just feel like we need to run the football more in that game than we did. I mean, think about that last drive, Curtis. The four-minute drill, four minutes, 44 seconds, we get the ball back, and we don't throw the ball one time. We run it right down their throat when every single person in that stadium knew we were going to run the football. If we were able to run it in that situation, we could have run it all game long on them. I think that's fair. I think also, but the thing was, too, we finally – tired them out you know without davis being in there you kind of were seeing it more later in the game where in the beginning of the game they were still you know fresher and you had to wear them down okay then that's a fair point yeah by the end of the game they were just worn down but I, I i just think in the second half we could have leaned on them more that would be my only my only slide criticism because i we had if you want to take those vertical shots if you want to hit those big plays you've got to bring them you can't just throw the football when your receivers are blanketed just to throw the football you're, the ball's gonna get picked so to get them out of those looks, you've got to do something. You've got to force them to bring a safety down the box. And I just don't think we were committed enough to the run. We did it at times, but I felt like we should just commit it more. And, and maybe that's just me, but I feel like that would have opened up some opportunities down the field a little bit more. But Curtis, all right, I know you got to get out of here in just a second, man. So let's run real quickly here to our game balls. I'm going to just let you go here. Give me three game balls that you're handing out to, to players or coaches from Saturday's game. All right, so I'm going to do one on each side of the ball. I'm going to go um, offensively, Brock Bowers. Um, I think the guy came to play. Defensively, I am going to go with Nicobe Dean. I think the guy, I mean, you have to go with him. And then I also want to go Jake Kamard. I thought the guy did a great job. You know, what I mentioned earlier in the week that having someone like that who can win the help you in the field position battle really, really helps. Huge, man. I mean, in the first half there that we played field position for at least the first quarter or so, he was obviously a huge part of that. I think he could get down one right at the 10 and one inside the, the five at the one. I think it was actually where we downed it. Uh, you mentioned Brock Bowers. You know, you, you guys know we've been talking about Brock Bowers for a long time. Curtis, how good can Brock Bowers be? He can be really good. Um, I think the guy's just going to continue to get better and better the more comfortable he gets. And especially when you get people like Darnell Washington and some of those guys back healthy that can take, you know, allow him to not get yeah. garner as much attention will also help him. Six catches, 43 yards. No, it didn't have a huge yardage show there, but I think the six catches was the most for a Georgia tight end since 2014, I want to say. So great debut for Brock Bowers. That guy's a, he's a monster in the making guys. I, I told you about him as he's a guy that just, all you do is watch tape in high school. You're like, wow, this guy can absolutely play. And you throw in Darnell, like you mentioned, throw in Darnell Washington the mix eventually here. And that's going to be just hell on earth for demons to deal with, with those two guys and 12 personnel out there. That's going to be tough. I also love the Nicobe Dean pick. I mean, what an absolute 
baller he was last night. He was all over the field, two sacks. He had one and a half sacks all of last year. Had two sacks in the first game. Even the ones where he wasn't getting the quarterback on the ground, he was still affecting the quarterback. He did a great job attacking downhill against the run the few times they actually tried to run the football. He was great in coverage, attacking side to sideline. Nicobe Dean absolutely showed out last night. I think that's only the beginning of, of what's going to be an incredible season for N'Kobe. Potentially an All-SEC, maybe an All-American type season for N'Kobe if he keeps up that pace. So great picks there. Kamara also, big time performance by him. So for my three game balls, since you took Brock Bowers, he was right up to the top of my list. So was N'Kobe. I'll go with a couple different guys. And at the top of my list, my first game ball is going to go to safety Chris Smith who clearly made the play of the game. His pick six of DJ Ui Ungalale accounted for the only touchdown in the entire game. And I know if you've read some of the post-game coverage, it's, it's been pretty well documented by now, but he did a really good job there baiting DJ into that throw. What happened on that play was pretty simple. So it was a great design by our coaching staff as well. And Chris Smith also gave our coaches credit for that. But Latavius Breeze blitzing off the edge there from the star position. When that happens, and Ui Ungale sees that, he is immediately going to look to the quick game to take advantage of the void that Brini has left behind. And Chris Smith kind of slow played it. He did not immediately crash on Justin Ross as soon as Brini blitzes off the edge of that. He kind of slow played it, made it look like he was playing zone a little bit there, but completely baited DJU into that throw and then broke the ball, picks it off, takes the distance, rest is history, dogs win 10-3. But Chris Smith, man, I have a soft spot for this. There's a couple guys on our team that I have a big soft spot for. Chris Smith, Latavius Brini, Amir Speed, three guys on this defense that I really have a lot of respect for. These are three guys that did not have immediate success upon coming to Athens. They had to grind. They had to work. They had to humble themselves. These are guys, I mean, all these guys that get scholarships to the University of Georgia are big-time high school football players. They're the best player on their team, the best player in their region. They get a lot of publicity. That's why they're coming to the University of Georgia. So it's really hard sometimes when guys come into college off of all that publicity, off of all that hype, off of all that love throughout high school, and they don't have the same kind of success right off the bat. A lot of guys, I would venture to say most guys in that situation, that scenario, they get all up in their feelings, they get their feelings hurt, they pout, and they blame other people. They don't look in and say, hey, I need to get better, and they transfer out now with a transfer portal. But these guys did not do that. Again, they humbled themselves. They went to work. They did things the right way. They took coaching. And to see them have the kind of success that they're having right now, I got to be honest, man. I'm going to sound lame for a second. It, it warms the heart. It really does, man. I, I'm rooting for these guys. I always root for our players no matter what, but I am rooting just a little bit extra for these guys because of how they've handled their business since they've come here to Athens, not having that immediate success, but working and earning the success, earning the time on the field. In an age of me, 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 where that has become acceptable, these guys are team, team, team. And to see a guy like Chris Smith make a game-changing play like that, it was just a, it was a beautiful sight, man. I love to see it. And speaking of Latavius Brini, there's a lot of different directions I could go here 
with my second game ball. I mean, Jalen Carter, I thought, had a really underrated game. I don't think enough people are talking about him. I thought Devontae White, even though he did not get on the sack action, I thought he affected the quarterback with this pressure. I thought that he batted, I know he batted a couple balls down. Jordan Davis is another guy. He could be a guy that gets a game ball every single game. Even when he doesn't have, the, he had a sack, but even when he doesn't have the numbers, he creates a lot of opportunities for everyone else. So those guys obviously are deserving game balls. But speaking of Latavius Brini, I'm also going to give him my second game ball here. I had some questions. I said it earlier in the show. I had some questions coming into this game. Was he going to be able to consistently hold up in coverage against a really good group of Clemson wide receivers? I just hadn't seen it from him. We, we didn't know. We just did not know. And that was something that I was at least mildly concerned about coming to this game because we had not seen him do it. I wasn't questioning the, the idea that he could potentially do it, but we just didn't know if he could do it. And it's still only one game. Got to say that. But I thought he really inched the bell. And without Tyke Smith there, that was a concern for me. I thought he played really, really well. And when Clemson got down to the red area late in the game in the fourth quarter, trying to pull back into it, he came up with two huge pass deflections. They went after him, guys. They had the same questions I had. Can he actually hold up in coverage against our guys? And he emphatically answered that question, at least for one night. I was really impressed with him. And just like Chris Smith, really excited to see him have that kind of success out there. And for my third and final game ball, I'm going to go a little off the radar here. Again, there's a number of players that you could give one to. I think, again, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, uh, Jalen Carter. I would even potentially throw Warren Erickson out there. You know, coming off of his injury, having to play guard when he's been playing center for the past year or so, not really being able to practice full go for a while with his injury and coming in like the third play of the game and playing really well against an incredibly talented defensive front. I thought he did a great job. But my third game ball is going to go to head coach Kirby Paul Smart. And the big reason I'm giving him this game ball is obviously as the head man, he oversees everything. He gets all the blame when things go wrong. And I think he should also get a lot of the credit when things go right. And he, all off season long, coming off last year, a disappointing year where our three-year winning streak in the SEC East comes to an end. Florida goes to the SEC Championship game. Where he was questioned all season long about why didn't you play JT Daniels more. And there were even people talking about Kirby Smart being on the hot seat or Kirby Smart being under pressure entering this season. And it had become a very, very popular and almost universally accepted refrain to just say that Kirby Smart can't win the big one. Kirby Smart chokes in the big games, which I always find laughable because really what people do is they're looking at two games. They're talking about two games. They're talking about both games against Alabama and the uh, 2017 national title game and the 2018 SEC title game where we had leads on Alabama, late leads in both those games, and we end up losing late in those games. And so there's this this narrative out there that Kirby Smart is not a good in-game coach, whatever that even means, that Kirby Smart can't win the big one, and he just chokes every time we get in a big situation, which could not be further from the truth. It's the one of the best examples in college football right now of just like, selective memory and cherry picking of data. Yeah, those two Alabama games happened. You know what? Kirby also had nine wins against top 10 teams since 2017. We've been nine and six against top 10 teams since 2017. That's better than Clemson. Clemson's six and four over that same time span. Still really good. They just haven't played as many top 10 teams and Kirby's had more success. He just hasn't had the good fortune of playing in the ACC. So with that win, over Clemson. That now gives Kirby 10 wins over top 10 teams dating back to 2017. So over the last 
four seasons plus one game, we've got 10 top 10 wins. And oh, by the way, let's let's name some of these coaches that everyone out there kind of universally just puts above Kirby in like the coach ranking conversation. Obviously, Dabo Swinney, Lincoln Riley, Jimbo Fisher, guys like Brian Kelly, Dan Mullen. Brian Kelly, maybe people don't put him above Kirby, but right there around the people are convinced that Dan Mullen's a better coach than Kirby Smart. Jimbo Fisher, Lincoln Riley, Dabo, all those guys. Well, guys, Kirby's now 8-1 and one versus all those guys I just mentioned. In matchups with Dabo Swinney, Lincoln Riley, Jimbo Fisher, Brian Kelly, and Dan Mullen, Kirby Smart is now 8-1. and one. Yeah, I know we still have to beat the old mentor, the old boss. That's got to happen. But this idea that Kirby Smart just can't coach, can't win the big one, can't beat good teams, that we choke in big situations, it's always been a joke to me because it's not based in fact. It's based on narratives that have been created by cherry-picking data because that's what people like to do. They just like to tear down and they have to find anything that justifies their kind of preconceived notions of a coach. And I'm not sitting here saying we just won the national title. We did not. This is one game. We are 1-0, as Kirby Smart himself would tell you. I'm already looking at UAB, guys. Like I, I'm, I'm already worried about that game. That's just how my mind works. But despite the fact that this is just one game, it is clearly, undoubtedly, a very big game. Not just for this season. Absolutely for this season. Clearly for this season. This puts us in great position. But it also does take some of that pressure off of Kirby. And I hope it helps him start to get some of that national respect. And who? I guess that doesn't even really matter. But I think what happens is that eventually these narratives filter down to recruits. And that's what concerns me because we've got a lot of questions all offseason about, hey, what's going on with recruiting? Why aren't we recruiting as well? Why are we missing out on guys? Why are guys decommitting? Why are things going slower? And a big part of that is there's a lot of negative recruiting. And even teams like Clemson, there's a, there's a clip that's been making the rounds recently. It's from a couple of years ago with Davo Swinney. He's talking to his recruits. He's talking about Georgia hasn't won a title since 1980. And, and that over time starts to take its toll. We still recruit extraordinarily well, but it's more difficult when teams are recruiting negatively against you because you quote unquote haven't won the big one. And all the national media members out there, all these people that are constantly spewing that narrative, they give those coaches ammunition. And that kind of makes its way down to the recruits. It filters down to the recruits themselves. And then eventually they start to buy that perception and that narrative. So winning a game like this certainly helps change that. My answer to all the recruiting questions we've gotten all offseason, all the concerns that people have had is we just got to win. Just win, baby. That's what we got to do. And this is a huge step in the right direction starting the season off with a win like this against a really good Clemson team. Well, I think it's probably going to run the table. I know I said I wouldn't be surprised if they lose a game somewhere along the way, even though they'll probably be double-digit favorites every game the rest of the way. But I mean, look, the odds are they'll probably win the rest of the games. They'll probably win the ACC still. Oh, and by the way, one more thing here about Kirby Smart. So People like to conveniently forget sometimes that recruiting is a big part of coaching college football. They kind of dismiss Kirby as, oh, he's just a recruiter. Like, that's not a part of the job. That's a huge part of the job. So when people are giving this defense all the props that they rightfully deserve and talking about how great these players are, let's not forget who recruited those guys and who built this roster, right? So Kirby Smart, I'm giving him my third game ball here. Huge game for him. Huge game for our program. I'm just so freaking pumped we won this game, guys. Like I told you all offseason, like a couple months ago, I told you guys, like I was very confident we were going to win this game. And as predicted, the closer and closer we got to the game, the more and more nervous I got. The anxiety kicked in. And it got to the point where late last week when we did our official predictions, I predicted, what, a four-point Georgia win? So it got much closer in my mind. I thought a couple months ago that we might win by double digits. 
But obviously some of the injuries, that's what really caused me to back off that prediction. I guess it kind of played out that way, but I don't care, man. 10-3-1-0-2-0. Who freaking cares, man? We won the football game. We're 1-0. We're moving on. We're in good position. But now we clearly do have to turn our attention to UAB. We'll get to that later on this week. But if you haven't already, please make sure to send your questions in. Charlie and I will be recording that episode tomorrow. We've already got a ton of questions, so we'll be covering everything you guys want us to cover as we take one last final look back at this victory over Clemson. It'll be kind of a more like myopic recap of this win over the Tigers before we move into our preview of UAB and our picks of the week later on in the week. But thanks for listening, guys. When this weekend, uh, man, we needed this. We needed this as a program. I needed this as a human being to have my college football, my Georgia football back. Such an incredible weekend all around. Hope you guys enjoyed as much as we did. Thanks for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>